Jen Hatmaker is a New York Times bestselling author. She is the host of the For the Love podcast. She is a highly sought after speaker and a Texan. Oh, and there is this. She has more than a million followers on social media. She is a mother to five. And here's the thing. We talk about all these successes, but she wrote many, many books before any became a hit and before the masses wanted to follow along. And this is Jen Hatmaker's Second Shot. On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people, just like you and me, who've had to overcome incredible odds, to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now, we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow, to be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit Downs with your host, Jenny Anchondo. Oh my gosh. Well, I wish it was in person, but it's fun to kind of see your uh, your at-home office. Is this where you've been hanging and doing all of your stuff? Sister, this is it. Yeah. Uh, at this point, I just feel like, guys, get used to what you're seeing back here because I'm going to die in here. This is just where it ends for me is in this room. Well, and the thing everybody's wondering now, too, is how, like, real talk, how is this going with all of the, the, all of the children, all of the family being at home for so, so long? I just... We've got two in college and two in high school and one in middle. And I just wish so much that would all get in their cars and drive somewhere. Like just drive somewhere, get out of here. Two of our kids right now are seniors. We have a senior in college and a senior in high school and it's just such a bummer. Oh. So we have so much emotional heavy lifting in the house right now between all of us. And so we are trying our very best to laugh and to hang on to our sense of humor so we don't kill each other. It's a lot. Well, and then in the midst of it, because you're such a slacker, you decided to launch a book. Yeah. Um, kind of yeah. mid-pandemic. Yeah, sure. Sure, I felt like the timing was delicious. Yeah. Um, yes, I just released a book called Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire, and it came out um, April 21st. So right here in the middle, of course, nobody planned for that. Nobody, no, no creators right. planned to launch their work right now, but it's been interesting to watch my community sort of pivot and rally around the book and sort of make this conscious choice. Well, what I have right now is a little bit of time. So I'm going to go ahead and take this book and I'm going to use it and I'm going to digest it and I'm going to consider it and see how it might serve me right now in this moment. And so that's been very thrilling for me. Well, and that's what I've been doing too. I started out with the reading of the book and I have a three-year-old. So now that transitioned to doing only the audio because people who have three-year-olds <laughs> do not read anything. No, they, uh, they only listen, but, um, but it's, it's been, a, it's been a good time for me to be kind of digesting this information too. And, and I, I mentioned to you, this, this uh, segment is called second shot where we're kind of taking a look at people who seem to really have it all like you look at this I read that intro I'm like man how does she do it but the, but the truth is there were a lot of books that you wrote before anybody was following along before anybody was waiting in line before anybody was 
you know, really like itching for you to write more content. So let's talk about those those early book projects, and oh. what kept what kept you going? What kept you writing even when people weren't totally diving into them? Totally, like nobody asked me to become a writer. Nobody was asking me to write that first book. The first ones were so horrible that if any of you ever read one word of them, I will never speak to you again. <laughs> I just had this in me. I knew it. Like I knew this was eventually going to be my work. I knew this is what I was meant to do in the world. I knew it's what I had to bring forth. And you just have to start somewhere. I was 29 when I wrote my very first book and nobody read it. Like nobody read the first seven or eight. I don't even think my mom read them. And honestly, <laughs> thank goodness. And so, but I will tell you what, I have no regrets about that because what those years taught me it taught me how to work hard for the love of the work, not for applause, not for approval, not for success. Um, it taught me my craft. I, I had the gift of being a learner while really nobody was watching. So the stakes were pretty low. Um, I learned how to take editorial direction, how to take critique pretty far outside the public eye. Um, where it was a little bit safer. And I'm not sorry. I'm I'm glad for those years. I'm thankful um, that I got to put my head down and just work hard and stick with it when there was no success to be found. That built something strong in me that turns out I really needed at this phase of my life. I oh. needed that inner strength. I needed that kind of core place inside of me that said, this is my work and it's mine to do. And whether anybody is into it or not, it's still mine. And so here we are now, and I'm still grateful and tickled that anybody reads a book now that I write. That's a new, that's a new <laughs> phenomenon. Um, but yeah, this does a, in some ways it feels like a second shot for people who are just finding me, but in the other ways, it's just been one long shot, one really wow. long shot. Um, from beginning to end. Well, and I think that's such a good message for people who feel like they're working and working and working and never getting recognition and, and just trying to find that passion for what you're actually doing and who the heck cares if anybody, uh, you know, ever reads it because it's it's bringing you joy and, and you're, you're growing through it. So you mentioned some of your other books and I'm gonna tell you, I learned about you when, um, your book of mess and moxie came out and my pastor i just had my daughter and i was um like all mess and zero moxie your like, moxie like mm -hmm. zero yep. moxie not at all um <laughs> and she saw that in me and she was like okay i think that i think you need this book and i'm gonna leave this here and let you be with this book and it was really really transformative to me Aww. um you know gosh maternity leave it was the first time i had you know any time off in a very long time and turns out it wasn't time off at all but it was it was impactful and there's this quote from it that I think relates to what we're what we've been dealing with right now isolation concentrates every struggle the longer we keep our heartaches tucked away in the dark the more menacing they become you say pulling them into the light among trusted people who love you is I swear 50% of the recovery process so I think about that you know this is before all of this mm -hmm. happened obviously but the this time of isolation that we've had yeah. um, what are some of the best practices for people that are trying to make it through this time as we are sort of emerging from the isolation? Mm. It's so real. Yeah. We're all experiencing experiencing that. We are not built to live like this. We are, we are communal people. We are relational creatures. Um, this separation and isolation from one another is painful. 
And we, we, these are not the ways, the rhythms that we've built our lives around. And so I am absolutely shoulder to shoulder with everyone who feels very overwhelmed with loneliness right now. And so I think because of that, um, in Fierce, we did a lot of um, research on the high cost of loneliness. It's actually more detrimental to our health and longevity than obesity and smoking and alcoholism combined. Loneliness is a greater predictor of an early death than all those things. And so knowing that this is such a core need that literally every single one of us has, while packaged right now in this weird moment in time where we are literally cut off from one another, we have to double down right now. We have to figure out how to create connection. It's gonna look different, obviously. It's not gonna be in the places and the ways that we're accustomed to, um, but it is, maybe nothing is more important to our mental health right now during this pandemic than creating connection. So whatever we have to do um, to be around people, to reach out, to call, to see one another's face on our computer screens, um, to walk by one another's houses, to do drive-by waves and hollers. It, it all matters, it all counts. Um, all of that really serves our emotional and mental health right now. And so the worst thing to do is just to kind of cordon ourselves off into the loneliness and just say, there's nothing I can do about it right now. Rather, we've got to imagine ourselves as very powerful creators and we have the power to create connection in new ways right now. And we really must. Probably nothing else matters quite as much as this right now. A beautiful message and encouragement because it can get kind of easy to just let yourself kind of fall into that, oh, well, I can't do anything and I'm alone. It's like this low-grade sort of just unhappiness and feeling of being unsettled. So I like that right. kind of push you're giving everybody. Now, we yep. mentioned mid-pandemic, Jen went ahead and released this book, the, you know, the slacker that she is. So um, Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire, The Guide to Being Glorious You. And, and it, like, it strikes me because isn't it weird that here we are in 2020, we need a guide to figuring out you, to figuring out who the heck I am. Um, but yeah. th there's this description in the book, you have work to do and the real you has to do it. The crafted version of you can't pull it off. So I know the, the whole book will really help you guys kind of figure this out, but what's the short version of how, how to find you? Like, how do you find yeah. out who that real person is? Right, this is not a book, on, this is not a self-help book. It's a book of self-discovery. Like, yeah. who are you already? Who are you meant to be on this earth? How are you designed? What, how, how are, what are the rhythms in your life that allow you to flourish? What is your personality? What is your volume? Who are you? And so it's not surprising to me at all that we're still talking about this in 2020 because you and I have received really clear messages from the time we were little girls. Um, I knew before I got out of first grade, um, this is what girls are supposed to sound like. This is what girls mm -hmm. are supposed to act like. Um, this is what girls are supposed to look like. I knew that. I, I, got, I received that message in kindergarten. And so we noticed in our environment which kinds of girls were going to be rewarded and which kinds were going to be punished, right? And so there's a very pre prescribed personality type, body type that always gets the prize. And then there are these others that color outside the lines that are going to struggle socially. And so um, I'm not at all surprised that we find ourselves as grown-up women going, I don't even actually know who I am. I have received and obeyed the messages for so long about who I should be 
that I'm, I am lost at sea. I don't actually know. And so it's some work to dig and to recover what is good and true and real about each and every one of us. And that's what Fierce is. Um, it's not a memoir. It is a, it's hopefully it's a resource. And it was the book I needed five years ago. Uh -huh. It's a book I wish I had 20 years ago. Ugh, I wish somebody would have taught me this in my twenties. Um, and so it's everything that walked me all the way into a life of true freedom. And I so want it to serve the women in my community. Well, and so here's the thing. I like the part where you say, I'm not interested in you becoming a better version of yourself. I'm interested in you discovering the, your actual self. Is, I mean, <laughs> can there be a collective sigh of relief for not yes. one more person saying, yes. be the best version of you? And we're over here thinking, right. who, who right. am I again? And what is the best version? Totally. I mean, how damaging it can it be to somebody oh. to, to, to the, always like, be like this fake do, thing? The do better, be more, or maybe be less, depending on who you are and where you are, mm -hmm. right. um, messaging, it's crushing and it's wrapped in shame. And at its core, what it is telling us is who you are is just not good enough. Mm -hmm. You either need to try harder, you need to work harder, you need to do better. Um, and it's so, so damaging to who we are and to our relationships. And so what happens is women have internalized the message and so we bury stuff. We bury who we really are. We bury what we need. We're afraid to say that out loud. We, we bury the things that we want. We bury the questions that we have. I mean, we pretend, we just duct tape it all together and give everybody the version of us that they want. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is no way to live. That is not sustainable. It, what it creates in us is such a fierce disintegration where the parts don't match and we're just pretending all the time. And I just got to the point in my life where I was like, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to have 10 different versions of Jen in 10 different rooms. I need one version of Jen. She needs to be the true version. And that's who I am at all times with all people in all places. That is literally the only way to be free. It's exhausting. Is it not? Exhausting. <laughs> and you get confused. The different versions of you kind of compete mm -hmm. and even contradict sometimes because we're just, we walk into every room, we read it, and then we give it what it wants. That's what we're skilled at. And so when two of our rooms want different things from us and we're just playing the game, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that's just too tiring. I can't keep up with it. Yeah. I don't want to keep up with that. So, integrity is its own reward and comfort here. So I wonder about for, for our girls and for our little boys, and, and I, I, you know, is the thing that we have to sort of <laughs> fix ourselves and find ourselves first so that we can teach them how to actually be themselves and not be worried about these external pressures. How are you navigating that through parenthood? 100%. I am convinced that genuine moms raise genuine kids. I am convinced that moms who tell the truth raise kids who tell the truth because that that becomes the way that we live. Um, sincerity, honesty, that becomes the currency in our homes. Our kids see, they know the score. They know when the version of ourselves that we're saying on Instagram or presenting to the world or saying to our parents and siblings, um, doesn't match the the mm -hmm. one the the person that they know we are at home. Mm -hmm. They know when we're pretending about our marriages. Mm -hmm. They know when we're lying. They know when we're covering up addiction. 
um, they know. And so what happens is when we decide to do that interior work and we finally show up for our own life in truth, that we decide no more pretending, I'm gonna tell the truth, our kids bear witness to that and that becomes the air that they breathe. I don't think there's a better way to teach it than to model it. That has got to be number one. We cannot tell our kids that we love who they are and we want them to step into their own mind and soul and heart and body and truth when we are not doing the same work. They know, they know the disconnect. So this starts here, but the good news is it then positively affects everyone in our lives, our marriages, our children, our coworkers, our friends and family. So this is one of those things where a rising tide lifts every boat in our harbor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is gonna be a tough pill to swallow for a lot of moms, because here's what we like to do. We like to say, I'm gonna teach my daughter better than I, but, the, but, but what I'm hearing you say is no, you gotta do it and then you have to, you know, That's model right. so that she's able to do it, so she's able to see it. So I think, you know, it's an important and a strong message there. And you talked about body image in this book too, and this is something that, I mean, like ladies, if you tune in for one part of this interview, here it is. Yeah. Um, here's the question, what would you do with your time if you were not obsessing over your body? Um, and that question that you brought up in your book, I mean, ladies, think about your goals. Like, think about the things you wanna do and think about the time spent like counting a calorie or weighing or researching a diet wow. or all these other things that take up so mm -hmm. much time. Um, you talk about the shift of changing um, from describing your body as an it to a she. So right. explain that for us and I hope that that's a tool sure. that everybody can kind of take away. Oh, man, I just, ugh, this conversation. Yeah. Um, I, Spears has 12 chapters. And if I'm being honest with you, this chapter, the body chapter, it still ranks 12th out of 12 for me in terms of like personal victory. Like, so I want to say that I am still slogging away at this one. And again, back to something I said earlier, it's because we were handed such clear expectations on what girls were supposed to look like, what pretty means, how young and thin we're supposed to be and how small. It, it is a wonder any of us can even have a shred of health by the time we reach adulthood. So um, not, there's nothing wrong with any woman who is like, I can't quit thinking about my body. You, here's the bottom line. You were pit to hear a message and you received it. That's it. You received the message. So um, this has been a real struggle for me. I've been so mean to my body. And I was, I had a guest on my podcast. Her name is Dr. Hillary McBride. And this is her primary work is women and their bodies and their daughters. And she said, Jen, cause I just said, I can't get out of my head. I, I can't yeah. like I, what you're saying, I cannot access. I can't do it. I'm too mad at my body. I'm too mean. I'm hateful. I say the most horrible things to my body. I starve it. I deny it. I resent it. Like I, I don't feel like I can access any sort of body positivity. And she said, what if you just start here that we always call our bodies an it, right? Like just this unfortunate container carrying our brains around and we hate it and we're mean to it. And she said, but your body is an integral part of who you are. Your body has delivered every meaningful experience to you that you have ever had every good thing you ever heard or smelled or tasted or saw um, any place you ever went with your body your body is you and so she said what if you started calling your body a her or a she mm -hmm. 
and you treated her with that level of respect. And I was like, I don't know, man. And so I- <laughs> You didn't buy in at first, her. did you? I'm like, I just don't know. No, because yeah. I've been an enemy with my body for mm -hmm. so long. Um, and so I started saying things to my body at the end of the day, like, you did a beautiful job today. Like, you got us through a really hard moment. You stayed calm. Um, you stayed connected. You cooked a beautiful dinner. You hugged your children. You had sex with your husband. Like, you did everything in your power to make sure that we lived another safe, connected day on this earth. Thank you. And, and speaking to her in that way, um, with kindness, with love, with gratitude, I'll tell you if it didn't start rewiring the way I thought. I am not there yet, but I will tell you that I think about my body differently than I used to. Um, and so I am trying to be kind to her. And so help me, God, I am determined to not pass on body hatred to our daughters. I just, I want to see this, com this cycle broken once and for all. Um, definitely for me and you and our generation, but positively for the next generation. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I align with you on that, and I hope that everybody will align with us on that too. That that's listening and that's, that's watching again. Just that shift. Like if you can do one thing, um, the her and the she. I love that. No. You took, Jen, what many would say was a huge risk a few years ago by saying that you believe that LGBTQ, uh, LGBT uh, relationships can be holy, and you said that you support same-sex marriage. So in your realm, sure. from, from where you came from, a lot of people yeah. uh, thought this was a huge risk, and it ended up changing a lot of things for you. What do you say to someone who has this risk that they know they need to take, but they're scared to do it? Yep. Um, that doesn't sound like a risk to most of your probably really like savvy viewers. Where I was, I was very embedded in kind yeah. of evangelical women subculture. So from that vantage point, it was, and I knew it. But um, this is what I would say, because I think women uh, of all stripes are sitting on a lot of really big ideas. Um, maybe it has to do with what they want, like a big dream they have. Maybe it's a big truth. And saying that thing out loud is risky because it's, there's going to be a cost built in, which you might not be wrong. Sometimes truth is costly. Mm -hmm. um, uh, something that we want to admit, something that we want to say out loud, something we want to wrap our arms around, something we want to say, no, I have questions about this, or this is how I'm different from my subculture or my community. Uh, and it feels risky. Um, I will just say to those women who are like, I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to pay the cost. I'm not willing to risk um, what I have in order to step into that truth. My suggestion is that lying and pretending and faking and shoving and burying, that's not free either. Mm -mm. And so you are paying the cost for that. So while you are not wanting anybody else to pay it, you are, you're paying the bill. So we have the choice right now to either pay to kind of stay stuck and in bondage, or we can pay to be free. Which one do we want? There's a cost either way, neither is free. So the risk is, worth the reward when it is something true yeah it just is yeah and you you are able and capable to pay the cost you can do it you won't die <laughs> you can do it and on the other side of it you get to live free like you are free in that area you are not faking it around anymore and so um that is what the work of fierce is for women that anything we have buried inside deserves to be 
told in truth. And that to me is really our only path into a whole hearted life. Oh, did you guys soak all that up? Did you get it all? Did you get it all? I know that you are planning to come to Dallas in September. Things are all over the place, but um, but tell us about it because we're gonna just yeah. think optimistically about September. Yes. Well, I had a huge live event planned in Dallas for the release of Fierce and it was me and it was Brene Brown and it was Angela Johnson, one of my favorite comedians. And then of course, COVID. Here we are. So we have pivoted well, first of all, we put that whole event online, um, but now we've pivoted to September 9th. We'll see, you guys, we will see. Um, what we are scheduled for at this moment is that big live event. It's in Grand Prairie and, oh, it just feels so delightful to me to think about being in a room full of women again. I can't stand it. <laughs> I miss, I miss you. I miss women. I miss being in a room together with our energy and our power. And so I am so hopeful um, that we'll get to come together again. Um, but of course we prioritize our community and our health and our recovery. So that gets first place. However, if it works, it's on September 9th. Yes, and until then you're doing these happy hours, which is so fun. Um, we yeah. talked about connection earlier and how important that is. Um, Monday nights, you guys, you can hang out with Jen online. Tell us about that. Yes, um, so uh, Fierce Free and Fellow Fire is organized around five big ideas um, where women have to mine the truth and then live it. Who I am, what I need, what I want, what I believe, and how I connect. And so we are doing five straight weeks, we're calling them Fierce Happy Hours. They're at three o'clock central, and we are working through these five big sections. It's all free. And what my team has created for my reading, my readers is this incredible workbook. It's very comprehensive. It's beautiful. It will like grab you by the hand and literally walk you step by step through the work. And we're doing it one week at a time. So just, just Monday yesterday was our very first week and we pick it back up next Monday at three o'clock. You can go to jenhatmaker.com and register for free and we will send you all the goodies plus the link to join us and it's just so great to be in this community of women, even online, tens of thousands of women, all cheering for one another, all gathered around these ideas of freedom, and it's incredible. Yes, I, and I mean, I do love a happy hour that starts at 3 p.m. our time too. I, I mean, mean, you know. <laughs> this is, if I'm being my true self, <laughs> that's what I am telling you about this happy hour. Okay, g give a shout out to all of your pages, where everybody uh, can find you, where they can find the book. Sure. Sure. Um, you can find all the good stuff over at jenhatmaker.com. My podcast is located there, everything else. And then on social media, I'm literally the only Jen Hatmaker. I mean, how many could there be? So we have like really robust community on Facebook and on Instagram, and it's so much fun. Yeah, come find me. The book's everywhere. You can get it anywhere books are sold. The audio book is really, really fun. I read it and put a ton of bonus content in it. So the audio book seems to be yeah, a fan favorite you, right now. You guys, she goes off on random tangents, which is fun because you never yeah. really know what's gonna happen. <laughs> it's that. Yeah. It's almost like that feeling of live TV. Like, what? A, what where's she going with this? Where's she going with this? So totally. I agree. The audio book totally. is so fun. Jen Hatmaker, you have infused us with so much energy. Thank you for being so generous with that. And thank you for your time. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Congratulations on the new show. Ah, uh, thank you. Thank you. We are so excited to get going. And you guys can get more episodes of the Second Shot podcast at 
secondshotpodcast.com. And we will also see you at 10 a.m. on CW33 every weekday.